Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 147. This week, we talk with Jason R. Shaver about the new Azure CLI 2.0. PowerPoint is Turing complete and needs to be removed from the Apple App Store. And I finally have quantifiable proof that Carl is a slacker. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week, we have Jason R. Shaver. He's the program manager for the Azure Command Line Tools. He joined Microsoft in 2011 after falling in love with using XAML for a line of business apps. But now he's walking in with a MacBook looking for looking to help folks uh, get started in the cloud, regardless of their computer brand. How's it going, Jason? Oh, it's doing great. Today's a good day. Yeah. It's 65 yeah. degrees out here today. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh man, we have to record uh, record a podcast today indoors. Um, we should have we should have figured out a way to do an, an outdoor episode because I, I was outside. It is just beautiful on the news. They they told everybody just to not go into work today <laughs> and just just enjoy the day. But uh, thank you for joining. <laughs> Glad to be here. Yeah. So, Carl, uh, why are you such a slacker? Uh, I am a slacker. Um, <laughs> I, I actually have like 15 Slack groups that I'm a part of. Yeah. I, I recently did a little bit of a culling, but then we decided to add another one, didn't we, Jason? Yep. So if, yeah, so if you want to kind of become part of our community here with the MS Dev Show, you can sign up at slack.msdevshow.com and uh, join us and talk to us whenever we're around. Yep. Yeah, so it's just a good, pretty much a way to, to interact with us and provide feedback, ask questions, those types of things. Yep, just trying to make ourselves a little bit more accessible. Absolutely. And what do we have for the comment of the week? The comment of the week, once again, is brought to us by Aspose. And this week, the comment of the week gets a developer small business license for Aspose.total for .NET, which includes all of the Aspose.NET products in one package. And we got it a uh, comment off of our website uh, from Darren Evans. And uh, he said, there needs to be greater sharing of the benefits of efficiency that technology brings. The eight-hour day, five days a week work time structure was brought to us uh, in the early 1800s. I'm paraphrasing here because it's it's a pretty big um, (laughs) This guy's obviously sophisticated, too. He's he's very eloquent. It says, like, why is so much of the world still working this closely uh, with minor variances to this archaic pattern, given the time and efficiency increases that we have both mechanical and digital technology uh, brings us? Uh, even in an economy uh, uh, needs to be enjoying the benefits of increased efficiency by uh, being given a share of the time savings to spend on improved work-life balance needs. Well, Instead, Jason- it seems – Yeah. And he goes on a little bit more, Yeah, but you know, you know, you know, that's one of the things I think is really interesting. If you look at uh, some of the uh, like uh, basic income uh, theories and experiments that are going out there with a couple of countries in Europe and are being tossed around here. I I think that's one of the ways that we're looking in a modern way to try to, you know, one, spread the wealth and two, kind of bring a little bit more of that utopian future thing uh, that was promised to us, even by cartoons like the Jetsons. I don't know if you remember, but they had like uh, three day work weeks where you work two or three hour shifts. Um, Ooh, I like, you know, that. push it, just pushing a button. And you know, that, that was painful. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, the point is that, that 
there's all this automation, yet we work the same as we used to. And it's really just because Jason is buying, you know, the latest and greatest MacBooks. Um, so that's one explanation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you follow uh, yeah, this, guy, I mean, this up with Slack, where you could look at something like Slack, which allows you to have constant communication with your customers yeah. and your partners. But you at the same time, you don't want to fall into the eight hour a day and then Slack for another four hours. And now you have a 10 hour day. Yeah. But if you can use Slack to cut that eight hour day to a six hour day of more productivity, a four hour day of more productivity, I think that's a great thing. I think the industry is heading there. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a, that was a great comment, Darren. Comment, Darren. Uh, and if move you on? want to get met, I, okay. I, I got to finish this up, Jason. If you want to get mentioned <laughs> on the show, like Darren, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We especially like those five star iTunes reviews. Perfect. I'm just excited about the news. We got some good stuff. Uh, so the first thing is Azure IoT Central, and this uh, this made a big splash uh, just a couple days ago. Um, the the short version of this one, if I were to summarize, it's basically like a SaaS version of IoT. So previously, you know, you had to go into like your Azure portal and and build a solution with all of the different IoT pieces. What this is doing is basically taking some of that, putting it together, and making it so that you can, if you're an enterprise that has devices and you want to get uh, dashboards and get some of this other value out of it, you can just use this solution and put those things together. So at this point, my understanding it's just it's just an announcement. Uh, there's a video out there that shows you know some of the things that are uh, that are going to be uh, coming out around the corner. And then uh, that sort of leads into uh, time series insights. And this one, um, you can actually play around with this one. So Azure time series insights is a service for um, storing time series data and then allowing you to do things like look for anomalies or, or look for different patterns in the data, in the, in the data. It does some really cool visualizations with the data. And this is an Azure service. So you just go into Azure. It's in public preview. You say, give me one of those. Um, it'll hook up to event hubs or IOT hub, start pumping data in, and then you can start exploring your data in real time. And time series data tends to be like, you know, super fine grained, you know, like millions and millions of values. And this is optimized for, uh, for those types of scenarios. Uh, any comments, questions on that guys? No, nope. <laughs> uh, I haven't, I haven't tried the time series one yet, but I, I'm working right now on a lot of time yeah. series data. So it'd be really interesting, uh, kind of seeing how this compares to the reporting that we're already doing and see yeah. what else, uh, what other things that we can glean out of the information that we already have. Absolutely. Yeah. The people that, that this would be of interest to, I mean, are pretty excited about this. So that's uh, a really cool service. Uh, modernizing the Dom tree in Microsoft edge. What's this all about, Carl? So I, I thought this was a really cool article because they kind of talked about like the history of how Internet Explorer has kind of constructed and maintained a, uh, the idea of the DOM. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they, they they talked about like really how up until even very recently uh, they were looking at the DOM from like a 90s point of view. You had very simple tags and images and uh, they were uh, the backing structures were still like strings and they had just like optimized like how they did that string manipulation really quickly. Mm -hmm. But with the modern web, it's demanding a little bit more, especially when you have a lot, a lot of dynamic elements and they go really through on how they've modernized uh, the internals of uh, just represent re representing every element on the page and how that helps speed up uh the web experience mm -hmm. in uh, Microsoft Edge. So if you want like a really cool history lesson and kind of like where uh, technology in the web is going right now, this is a really cool article to look into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the summary is Edge is faster now. 
<laughs> way faster. Way faster. And, and, and it even has a few benchmarks in there that are Jeff Atwood approved. So he <laughs> loves his benchmarks. Yeah. Yeah. What was this coming? He said, kudos to Microsoft. Latest edge version is nearly 50% faster on browser bench uh, slash pedometer and now crushes Firefox. So very cool. Oh yeah. He's got a whole bunch of things in here. Latest edge is also two times faster for Ember. Finally, some change I can believe in <laughs> good work edge team. Um, yeah, very nice work. I mean, I, I love it. It's great whenever you have all these under the hood improvements that speed things up and don't really require you to do anything different. Uh, free performance is, uh, is sounds good to me. Uh, how to create your own templates for .NET new. So, uh, Jason, do you remember like when we first started this podcast, I had like this really, really, uh, big fascination with this little plugin called uh sidewaffle. Yes. And you talked Did- about it for the next 15, 16 episodes. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, uh, the author of this is the, uh, author of Sidewaffle and this is what Sidewaffle turned oh, into. Oh, I didn't know ac- that. Okay. So this is actually all of that project templates, those item templates that you could create really easily mm-hmm. is now built into Visual Studio with this, uh, with this, uh, template generator. And, okay. uh, if you want to find more, uh, about the template engine is exactly what it's called. Uh, you can read this article and learn how to start building your own templates, uh, like Sidewaffle started back in the day, but now it's built into the tooling. Okay. So how are you controlling yourself th- these days? <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta, you gotta be pretty excited about this. I, I am pretty excited. So uh, I think the one drawback is, however, though, um, you need to be using .NET Core. So it won't yeah. work with like any project type like Sidewaffle right. could back in the day. But, you know, this is, once again, something new that's being put back in. So as we progress further and further, this will support more and more. Awesome. Oh, let's see. Oh, and this is my favorite news story <laughs> on the touring completeness of PowerPoint. Um, so we'll actually, this video is hilarious. I, I, it was funny cause I, I always click on all the news items and then I ended up, um, there was something else I was looking at for a while and the video just started playing and I really wasn't listening to it. And then all of a sudden I started like listening to what he was talking about, the capabilities in PowerPoint. And he starts building this, this touring engine. <laughs> and I just, I started laughing, you know, like really laughing out loud, like, you know, by myself, <laughs> This this video is is just hilarious. It uses the the animation engine. Actually, where I lost it was whenever he had PowerPoint TM, and then he put TM after that, and then he TM that, and then he took the whole thing in parentheses and put a TM after that. Um, this this video is is just hilarious. But he basically built uh, you know a computational engine out of PowerPoint, and then he went on to show that this is actually uh, the version that's in the Apple Store. <laughs> is in violation of their terms of service <laughs> because you can't have, uh, you know, basically a, a computer that's, that's capable of running like arbitrary code in the app store. <laughs> so he, Which this becomes, yeah. So he argued that PowerPoint should be pulled from the, <laughs> from the, uh, from the Apple app store. Is this like people who use Excel to render cells as like pixels to make doom? Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is this is basically the same thing. Except PowerPoint was never meant to do computation. But um, if you look at the length he went through to do this, it's pretty ridiculous. See now, someone uh, from the office, like a five minute. What was that? Someone from the Word team now needs to step up and show that Word can compete at this level. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, we should just have checkboxes like okay, Excel, powerful, PowerPoint, powerful. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, what a, yeah, yeah. We need one note. We need word. <laughs> um, so I actually uh, I emailed this guy. I got permission to use this video um, after the end credits in the in our video version. Uh, maybe I'll put it in the audio version. I'll have to listen and see if it still makes sense or not. But the video version for sure will have this video after the end credits. Um, I've also referred him to our internship program to get this guy hired over here. Um, this is the kind. This is the kind of talent we're looking for. <laughs> um, no, this is this is great though. Any other comments on this? Nope. Yeah, definitely stay by after the the credits and and watch the video on that one. Okay, so let's talk about the Azure CLI because we I think it was a couple episodes ago uh, where we had this as a news item that the the, the Azure CLI version two was out and uh, I really knew almost nothing about it um, and I said you know we should we should really have somebody and you know somebody who knows what they're talking about on the show uh, to you know explain this explain how it works why it's cool how to use it those types of things so that's why you're here yeah so, let's so I guess we should yeah go ahead let's jump into some of the uh, you can't talk about CLIs without talking about PowerShell. So I think we should probably start okay. a little bit with PowerShell. Yeah, um, yeah, give us the background. Yeah, so what we're talking about here is how do you manage Azure from a command line? And the yeah. typical answer has been use PowerShell, use the Azure PowerShell commandlets, and you can do anything that you could do in Portal, you could do it in PowerShell. And mm-hmm. that was a pretty good story for people who use PowerShell, who had a .NET or an object model mindset. But then you look and there's a whole set of people who live off MacBooks, live off Linux, or live off multi-platform environments where they need to use a window, uh, run a script on a Windows machine, running on a Linux machine. And we had a CLI, we called it the Azure XPlat CLI, and it was written in Node.js, and it worked, it was functional. But as you started comparing PowerShell to the XPlat CLI, PowerShell can do orders of magnitude more things. When yeah. a new feature came on, uh, man- something like Managed Disks comes on, PowerShell would have been obviously where it went first, and then the XPlat CLI when they got around to it. So <laughs> this was a problem to a lot of our customers, to a lot of people who are interested in Azure. So what we did is we stopped the development on the 1.0 tool, and we said, what do we need to do to make a great tool that we can keep up to date with the, the Azure PowerShell commandlets? And we decided to start over and build it on top of Python. Um, I imagine for a lot of people, seeing us have a Node-based CLI and then moving to a Python-based CLI was weird. But this is because when we talked to people who needed a non-PowerShell CLI, we're talking about system integrators, we're talking about other clouds or Linux distro providers. Uh, We saw that SUSE Linux built their own Python-based Azure CLI rather than use our Node one because they didn't want to support a full Node runtime to support the Azure commands. <laughs> I like how Node is all of a sudden too big. Yeah. <laughs> so we asked everybody, like, hey, what do you want us to use? And they all said Python. And we're like, okay, let's use Python. Great. <laughs> so that's a... I'm very very scientific. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you talk to your customers and you find 80% plus will say what you should do, yeah. you should probably listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> now, changing languages was not the goal here. That was just a byproduct. Um, The real goal is we wanted something that was super easy to install. If you look at something like the AWS CLI or the Google CLI, it's you go to a web page, they tell you a command to type in your terminal, and it installs. If you looked at our old CLI, it was download Node, figure that out. And if you're a .NET guy, downloading Node wasn't the easiest thing for a long time. Then Mm -hmm. install us, and then figure out how to keep us in date, which changed depending on your install methodology. You might have had an MSI install, and then you didn't have a normal node install, and you upgrade the node that isn't really there. It was kind of confusing for our customers. So we wanted to make it super easy. And one of the things that we did was we did not just upgrade 
the existing CLI and then say, now we're 2.0 and it's a full breaking change. So we actually made essentially a new CLI and they both exist and work side by side. The old CLI okay. is invoked by the command Azure. So it'd be like Azure VM. And the new CLI is AZ VM. Less characters does not conflict. But what this allowed us to do is we were able to integrate the two CLIs. So rather than telling customers, hey, you might know the 1.0 CLI, and now here's a new one with all new commands, have fun. We do things like if you log in with the old CLI, it logs you into the new CLI and vice versa. Oh, really? Yeah, if you, oh, change, your, interesting. If you change your subscription, we'll automatically change it in the other CLI as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so we're trying I to make- I had no idea you did that. That's really going like above and beyond, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's about making it easy for incremental adoption because if you have an existing set of scripts that run on a cron job, nothing is worse than Microsoft coming to you and saying, hey, those scripts, that's old style. You need to change that working, tested system to this new thing that we're just releasing now. So this gave us a chance to tell customers, hey, you need a new feature that's not available in the 1.0 CLI, you can continue to use 1.0 CLI and then just make the one command in the new CLI for the feature you want without ruining every, all your existing investments. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, keep going. Oh, so that's one part. <laughs> Naturally, easy to install. Nowadays, we're looking at apt get, so you can do ATP gets install Azure CLI. There's a few more steps than that. Uh, okay. We have an MSI for Windows, so you don't even have to worry about what to do on a command line. Mm. Um, and everything except for our... MSI install, if you want to update it, you don't have to just randomly figure out or go to Google. It's AZ component update, and it just updates everything in your CLI. Now, easy install, updatable, that's great. But another thing we heard from users is if you are a Mac or Linux customer, you have a lot of muscle memory grepping things using awk, SED. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you looked at our old CLI, we didn't make that easy. Um, we like to do a lot of things that we did it in .NET, and just kind of put that out into this Node CLI. So every output line would get a info or a help or an error prefix, which then means if you want to get clean, greppable output, you got to actually cut all that out. So we were seeing users with scripts where it's make a call to the CLI, slice out the top rows, slice out the bottom rows, slice out the first column, then you know run this auth on the remaining system. And then we make little changes, and those steps might have to change. So we focused on making sure we could work with the Linux-style tools. So we have an output called TSV, and it's tab-separated value, and it's new line for between records and tabs between columns, and clean. No headers, no row or column headers, just clean output. Um, we also support things like standard in, standard out, and standard warning cleanly. Now, to a .NET person or to a PowerShell person, I believe there's like seven outputs or seven streams that you could output to. And that, you know, kind of made sense. But, and Azure was kind of built in that model. But then as you look at the Linux world, you really only get an input, an output, and something for error information. So we redesigned everything to work cleanly in that model instead of just having stuff go in sometimes weird places. Uh, same thing with tab completion. Linux users expect tab completion. We have it now, uh, even where like you could look up your resource group without leaving the command line. You could do AZ uh, uh, group, li- uh, group show and then do a dash N tab tab and it'll list all your resource groups uh, right there and you just type the name of the one you want, you're good. Um, so those right there awesome. are the two biggest ones, making it easy yeah. for customers to get and then be consistent. Okay, very cool. 
So you mentioned that this is uh, Python. It, as Microsoft puts a lot of things open source, is this tool open source as well? This tool is open source, and we started this tool open source too. So if you go GitHub slash Azure slash Azure minus CLI, you'll find us. Uh, if you have any issues or feedback, we're right there. Um, we are really interested in being part of the open source ecosystem. Um, kind of a cool thing. When we were considering what tools you wanted to work with in the CLI, we started seeing like, okay, JSON documents are the lingua, lingua franca of the CLI and of the REST APIs. So working against these JSON documents is a core thing. We started looking at, okay, JQ is an existing tool out there, uh, jq.exe for people in the CMD world. And it allows you to transform your documents. And we looked at that and we said, oh, that's really cool. It's popular inside Microsoft. It's easy to... So the code was easy to work with. But then we started talking to customers and we started noticing AWS uses a, a J, uh, jQuery language called JamesPath that they invented. And the license allowed us to use it. So we said, rather than try to use a, uh, bring a new JSON processing language into the DevOps community, we'll just use one they're all familiar with, with JamesPath. So AWS yeah. and the Azure CLI use the exact same query language. So the dash dash query option in both CLIs is the same. This is really oh, great for cool. system integrators or people who are doing multi-cloud or where Azure might be their second cloud to an AWS or a G cloud instance. Yeah. I love this too, that we acknowledge like the existence of other companies. That's, that's a big change. <laughs> oh yeah. A lot Even of the, that seems so minor. It's great. A lot of our customers, um, you might, a lot of people might think that uh, someone would come to Azure and once they have Azure, they don't want AWS. Or if they go to AWS, yeah. they're not interested in Azure. But in reality, your cloud is still a point of failure. And as much as clouds are high reliability and cloud scale, you still want flexibility. If it's only just for negotiations and business reasons, you might need that flexibility. And so supporting two clouds shouldn't be a barrier of entry to get into Azure that, oh, now I need to learn an entire new thing. We want to try in the CLI to make that as easy as possible. Yeah. I mean, I worked with a company that they had, you know, they were spending a million dollars a year with AWS. They came over to Azure and, you know, spent significantly more than that. But, um, you know, it's like, Hey, can you convert that workload over? And they're like, why should we convert that workload over? Like, that'd be a big pain in the butt. So, you know, that, that's just the reality too. I mean, this, this, this magical world, yeah, where you're all only using one vendor and doing one thing is, you know, obviously never realistic. So, um, yeah, it is great whenever there's, uh, there's some similarities there. You know, speaking of using uh, one thing, yep. uh, as you look at Azure, it's common for customers to use portal for some of their tasks to use Visual Studio for some of their tasks, um, to use something like Storage Explorer. But in the CLI, when we talk to especially the Linux folks, not as much the Mac folks, though there are definitely people there, but the Linux folks love everything to be invocable by the command line. So important to us is if you could do it in PowerShell, if you could do it in Portal, you should be able to do it in the CLI. And we're not 100% there, but... Right now, when, the, when a new service team, like let's say the compute team who makes uh, virtual machines and uh, scale sets and those kind of services, when they release a new service and they publish their REST API, we actually generate the Python SDK based on that REST API, the Azure Python SDK. And then we generate the CLI based on top of that Azure or the Azure Python SDK. So just by the service releasing a feature, it gets added to this pipeline that gets it into the CLI. But we don't just stop there. The yeah. all, <laughs> oh, wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Every <laughs> <you> order now. <laughs> every single command that comes in 
gets, uh, you know, information like this parameter means blah, this command does blah, here's an example how to use it. We worked with a, the new documentation system of Microsoft, docs.microsoft.com, and now every single pull request that's merged in kicks off a new doc build that pulls in every single change and refreshes the doc. Then every example and every sample in our doc system is automatically re-executed against that new version and errors then oh, come back cool. to us in the doc team. Oh, that's cool. I love that. that. That's why, yeah, Carl and I have been talking, we want to get somebody from the docs team on because um, that sounds pretty cool. Like actually having your documentation, you know, essentially throw like a build error and then and push it back because i mean that there's nothing more frustrating where you're like copying a sample right and you're you're like kind of tweaking it why doesn't this work fine i'll just go back i'll just use the sample as it is and then come to find out that that doesn't work is <laughs> is super frustrating so that i like that strategy and we used to have so, internal tools yeah. that you know kind of like you do this check-in and it runs this ci and it builds and it becomes an internal thing but we wanted to be part of the open source community which means i can't gate external people's pull requests off of an internal build documentation system so this is our way of saying that anybody's pull requests, anyone could submit documentation changes without worrying about breaking our whole doc site. Yeah, very cool. So I installed the the command line and uh, I actually did it through um, I did it through through Bash uh, through the through the Linux subsystem. Yep. And so I, I which I was pleasantly surprised to find that the documentation I thought I was going to be um, uh, trying something exotic, but it was actually like the first it was like the first section <laughs> of the documentation. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, I guess I guess this is perfectly normal. So I installed it in Bash and uh, it, the, the installer was very good because it was a single line that I pasted in. And I actually have a script that configures like my Linux subsystem environment. Mm-hmm. It, it, I just paste it in any time I set that environment up. And uh, it was pretty slick because it, it ran. And, and actually, you know, normally I ignore like all the output of any kind of command that I run. And uh, and it didn't work. And here, then I, I ran it again. I actually read what it said and it said, Hey, you need to install these things. And it said, Oh, by the way, here's the command line to run. So I just copied that. I pasted that in It installed all the dependencies for me. Then I, then I installed the, the command line. And, um, uh, what I thought was kind of interesting is, is the, the new login process. Cause historically this has been, uh, it was really goofy. You had like this XML file thing, this published profile and blah, blah, blah. It was oh, yeah. kind of just awkward. So can you describe the new login process? So our main form of logging in, especially for interactive users is what we uh, call a device login where you do AZ space login. And we give you a web link, aka.ms slash device login, and a, I think it's like an eight or 10 character code that you paste in there into this uh, web page. And that web page will do your validation. And the CLI just keeps pulling in the back to see if you have a valid login, and then it logs you in. But what you don't have to figure out is where do you get this file? What format does it need to be in? What kinds yeah. of secrets do I need? Uh, those are hard questions. Though, we should also talk a little bit about what happens when you want to go from an interactive login to a cron job. Because a lot of people then go, oh, uh, yeah. I want to run this. I want to shut off all my VMs when I leave work today. Uh, yeah. So midnight, shut off the VMs. But your login has expired or you're not even logged in your machine. So service principles are the answer to this. But historically, they've required some difficulty creating. Um, mm. We put an amazing amount of effort in just cleaning up that process. So now uh, we have a command and I... We moved it recently, and I just got back from paternity leave, and so I don't want to say what it is because I'll mess it up, but it's something <laughs> like AZ something create for SP, 
and okay. it will automatically create a service principle, assign rights really? to your subscription. It'll give you the an output of here is how to assign new rights. Here's how to look for new rights to assign. Here's to, uh, to identify resources for assigning rights to directly. And then here's how to delete okay. the whole thing. I like that. And then you can just take that. Oh, and then also we give you the line of code of like cut and paste this. And this is your line of code to log in. So you just cut and paste that, put it in the top of your script and you're good to go. <laughs> that's awesome because that's always a huge hassle. Yeah, big deal for a lot of Java developers. And I believe this is yeah. more of a .NET focused podcast, but Java developers love working with service principles and this makes it so much easier. So speaking of using different technologies, I mean, jumping back a little bit, you mentioned that Linux users love being in the command line a lot more than like Mac or Windows uh, uh, people. But do you have like any kind of breakdown of the usage by OS or technology? Right about now, uh, I looked up before we talked today, we're about 60% Windows command line, which might feel very high. Uh, but as you look internally, this tool has been used more heavily internally than externally because we're a new tool. And we're talking about a tool that manages Azure writ large. A lot of companies don't want to be doing production systems out of a beta tool. So a lot of our early usage was in Windows. I mean, started building up more and more Windows usage. Uh, and uh, as we GA'd in February and as we're GA'ing more and more services, we're starting to see our Mac and Linux usage climb. Um, as we talk about accounts, uh, it's probably another interesting thing to mention. Uh, right now, we're tracking our usage based on subscription ID. So each unique su uh, subscription we count as one user. Uh, this is just a point in time thing for us. Uh, we're looking for better metrics to identify users. And we started seeing that patterns like .NET users may have a bit more, a few more subscriptions in their accounts than some of our Linux users. And so we started to see some really cool usage patterns between Linux and, and uh, Windows and Mac and Windows just by looking at the telemetry of the CLI. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET, a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications. You know, I, I we we sort of covered this earlier, and I it, it's probably kind of obvious, but I I just wanted to kind of touch on this point again. Um, you know, there's there is the there's the PowerShell version, and now I mean, their PowerShell goes cross platform, so theoretically, I could use uh, you know, the PowerShell CLI across all platforms. Um, I could also use the 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 V1 CLI across all platforms, mm -hmm. and now we have the the CLI 2.0. So I really have like three options to choose from. So is it just cut and dry? I mean, like if Anybody who's listening who's like, well, which one should I use? I mean, should they all be using the new one? So the first separation is between PowerShell and CLI. If you have existing investments in PowerShell, uh, it might be yeah. scripts. It might be resources that you've hired. Um, PowerShell is a great tool and is an answer for you. But we want to make sure that we didn't provide just one right tool, but we gave the companies the right tools for, their op for the options they need. 
if you have Linux expertise, if that's what you invested in, Azure CLI 2 will provide the same benefits as PowerShell. That's our goal. Okay. Now, Azure CLI 1, one of the reasons that we've moved away from it is the uh, Azure service model, ASM, uh, some people call it RDFE, uh, mm-hmm. and specifically, let's talk cloud services. Cloud services is one of the largest non-ARM uh, services in Azure, and the model... When, when you say ARM, you mean Azure Resource Manager. Yeah, Azure Resource Model. It's uh, confusing for our listeners, probably. <laughs> <laughs> not the not ARM processors. Yes, not ARM processors. Um, these are the, the templates and the the structure of resources in Azure. We call it ARM for management. This is things like resource groups. Uh, yep. In ASM, resource groups doesn't exist in a, as a concept. And as a result, when we switched from ASM to ARM, everything changed. And we used the same CLI for both. And we'd use uh, uh, Azure Mode uh, ARM or Azure Mode ASM to tell you which one you're in. But very few customers understood the difference. And when they went to someone else's computer, the commands were different. They wouldn't know why. They reinstalled commands were different. They wouldn't know why. They upgrade commands were different. They wouldn't know why. So we basically said the ASM model is stopping at the XPlat CLI. And we're going to keep the XPlat CLI alive, healthy, and supported until ASM is no longer a requirement for working with Microsoft technologies. Okay. So if you're if you're a new user, though, then I think you then it sounds like you have a choice between PowerShell and the CrossPlat CLI, right? Okay. So both of those will continue to to move on. And if you're doing ASM, then you use the V1 CLI. Yes, and you'll find that new ARM features will no longer post build be included in the XPlat CLI ARM functionality, and then it's really just going to be there for existing ASM customers. Okay. Another reason you might uh, want to consider the, uh, we should talk a little bit about Polygot develop- developers because Polygot developers are a really big deal for us in the Azure developer tools division uh, or group. So right now, if you do file new projects in a Visual Studio ASP.NET webpage, you get things like Bower and Gulp. And now you start saying, like, what does it mean by Polygon developer? You could be a .NET developer, and you still can't get away from the Node tool chains, from uh, working with JavaScript, uh, let alone things like the React and Angular. Everyone's a Polygon developer. If you find yourself working in that world where you're working near JSON, where you're working with tools like Gulp and Task Runners, if you're working a lot with VSTS, um, you might find yourself find uh, with a little more joy in the Azure CLI just because it's next to all those tools on your command line. Um, PowerShell is also able to do all those things, but for some users who aren't already into PowerShell, they might find an easier time working with the CLI instead of PowerShell, um, just because of the simpler object model, i.e. lack of an object model. Mm-hmm. Now, now, my next question is around, you know, if you look at Azure, Azure is this thing that always moves forward, right? I mean, there's there's changes every day that are happening under underneath the hood. And sometimes the the API itself will change in some way. Whereas the command line is something I download and it has an understanding of what Azure looks like, what those interfaces look like, but it doesn't change, right? Unless you actually update it. So how do you and even if you update it, maybe you guys didn't do it. I don't know. How do you how do you keep those things in sync so that whenever I'm using the command line, I'm always talking to Azure in the way that it expects to be talked to. Yeah, this is the topic of API versions in Azure. <laughs> this is not a simple topic for customers. Um, even internally, this is a very contentious, difficult conversation over the past couple of years. Yeah. We're right now working on closing down uh, how we're going to handle in the CLI what we call profiles. 
And the idea with a profile is you'll have a date string that gives you a specific point in time um, self-consistent list of Azure modules. So that might be a GA version of storage compute networking and a preview version of managed disks and DocDB and a you know beta version of something else. Um, and then we also will have a latest that's just the freshest, newest of everything. And so if you're in the CLI, we would assume you want to work with the latest. And every time you tell the CLI to update, it will update all your components automatically to a self-consistent latest version. So you don't have to worry about your this uh, RP, this resource provider is, module is out of date versus this report, resource mo uh, provider module. This is super important as you start talking about on-premise clouds. One of the benefits of Azure is this consistent cloud idea where you can build an application to deploy in your data center or deploy in a government cloud or deploy in public Azure, and you don't need to change anything. But the resources available in each of these might be different, so you may need to start programming towards a uh, lowest common denominator amongst those. Uh, you might not be able to use the newest uh, VM feature because that VM feature didn't make it to your on-premise Azure stack yet. So right. these profiles will be our answer to, to cleanly work with this. You find what the lowest common denominator is across all your clouds, and we'll even help you find out what that is. We'll do something like oh. AZ profile list, and I'll tell you what all the profiles in all your clouds are, what the latest and what the least common denominator, uh, the greatest least common denominator is for between them all. And then you just do AZ profile set that string, and it will create a new environment of your CLI built with all, it'll download all the right modules for that version, for that version of the API profiles, and keep that side by side with your, with the latest version. And you can have as many of those as you want and switch between them with uh, AZ profile switch. It'll just switch you between each okay. of those. So this will make it really easy cool. where people aren't going to have to worry about like, how do they build up what the right API version is to put in their query string when they're doing REST APIs. But if you exist yeah. at a SDK level, um, this probably won't mean as much to you short. It'll be easy to figure out what the right SDK is. So how do I, do I pull down profiles then? Uh, yes, um, we'll be including okay, so, profiles. Okay, so as the APIs update, then you pull down pro new profiles? Yep, exactly. Okay, I got you. And those cool. will be a curated list by the company. Okay. So uh, before we mentioned that this is an open source project on GitHub, I was wondering what some of the major contributions from the public has been to this so far. So we've gotten kind of three sets of contributions. Um, one of the first things being an internal project with that where we were reaching out to other service teams who had an existing CLI they were building components for, we wanted to go to all of them and say, we can build a CLI super cheaply, super effectively, and you'll like it more than the current one. Um, and we had our team, and it was five developers, do all that work. And that got us you know, the main IaaS environments, uh, VMs, networking storage, that kind of stuff, ARM. But then we wanted to get more things. We wanted things like SQL, DocDB, um, express routes. We wanted more complex things, but we didn't have to write every single one of them, become domain experts, every single one of them. So the first thing that we did with being open source is we could go to any internal team and say, here is our code. Here's access to it. You could submit a PR for your service and that's it done. And that model worked really great. We got a lot of internal teams building their own Python components, even without having deep Python expertise and that our team validates all those PRs. Then as we started to get more public, we started seeing more external people uh, commit to or uh, start uh, talking with us. I don't know of any, off the top of my head, great uh, PRs we've taken from the external community, 
But we've gotten a lot of feedback about the PRs we've gotten from the Microsoft MVPs, the regional directors, and the community writ large. Um, I think last time I looked, our issue list was 30% external on GitHub. Uh, okay. Though I have not checked that in a bit. Okay. Um, so, I mean, with, with the, this thing, I mean, it looks great and it's a, it's a great feature set. So, you know, like what, what kind of more like forward looking things can we, can we look forward to? Is there any roadmap items that you can share with us? Yeah. So profiles is something <laughs> we're excited about, but it's kind of like, yeah. you know, a loud clap in a very depopulated area. Not many people are going to hear it, <laughs> but the thing that we're really excited about, we built the CLI cause we needed it to be used in automated scriptable tools. You need it to be yep. something that you could put in your workflow. That means clean inputs, clean outputs. When something succeeds, there is no output. It returns a success and there's no output because you don't want it to pollute your next tool in the line. Yeah. That though makes it really hard to just quickly investigate the CLI, do things like which of my VMs are running right now? Well, I might have to do a dash hash to look up the help and then I might need to look up some parameters. And it kind of slowed it down, especially me building scripts and demos for customers. So we built what we call the AZ shell. Uh, there's a blog post out on it. Uh, we'll have a link in the, in the show notes. And what this is, is this is a interactive shell. Uh, so at your bash uh, command line, right now it's a separate tool. Uh, come build time, it'll actually be AZ space shell. And it'll go right into this mode. And it gives you a, a text editor at the top. And then at the bottom, it gives you for, let's say you do AZVM, it'll tell you all the commands, all the parameters. It'll tell you, oh, it'll give you examples. And if you want to run an existing example or move that example into your text space, we have gestures to do that. So you can do like a colon one and it'll just say, okay, run that first example, but with these parameters, um, which and some of our examples for VM creation, uh, if you want to create multiple NICs or you want to do express routes, some of those examples get complicated and you just want to change a name or resource group. We could do that with this. Uh, if you work I like that. all the time in service bus, what you would want would be something like AZ, SB, and then all your commands are off there. So you just want to skip the AZSB. Yeah. We at carrot carrot AZSB, every command from that point on assumes you're starting at AZSB. Oh, cool. And then SB carrot carrot, and it undoes that. And you can go up levels, down levels. Um, we have multiple uh, colorizations. Uh, we're even trying to work on things where we'll automatically color JSON output. There's a lot of cool features in Interactive Shell that we're really excited about. Uh, it's yeah. in preview now. People can get it. Uh, like I said, we'll have the link. And then in build, we're just going to put it right into the CLI because in preview, when we got feedback from customers, turns out trying to keep two of the same product, the AZ Interactive Shell and the AZ CLI in sync is kind of hard for customers, especially non-Python focused developers. So we just yeah. built it in. Why not? That's very cool. Very cool. So is there anything else that we uh, failed to ask you that you want to mention about this? Um, no, only that this is the Azure CLI is one of the most exciting tools for managing Azure. And if you only occasionally manage Azure, I think many people would find more success in the CLI than they would in PowerShell or in uh, the portal, the online portal. And if you find yourself frustrated by your experience in the portal, give the CLI a shot for your workflow. You might find it good. Yeah, I've been th I've been thinking about doing like a thirty day challenge where like you know I stay I only go to the portal if I can't do it with the command line for some reason. <laughs> oh, you'll learn <laughs> so the, uh, much about do uh, when you do that. Yeah, yeah, we very uh, cool, and I love it. We live in the CLI today, today, where everything that we do has to be done in the CLI internally on our yeah. team. So it's like, oh, this is uh, auto scale is one that we're looking at right now. Uh, this is how yeah. you would do auto scale in the portal, and then we go like, okay, let's do that in the CLI. Oh, this is hard stuff. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, really focus on making those things easier. Yeah. <laughs> kind of start, forgot where I started Very cool. There. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very cool. Uh, okay, Carl, what do we have for the Azure Pick of the Week? The Azure Pick of the Week is a really cool blog post that highlights the uh, Azure Document DB Query Playground. Yep. So this is a nice little interactive place where you can work on, you know, just writing some queries and see how uh, they affect DocDB. And to couple this, this blog post, well, it has a link to the actual query playground ex- itself. It also has a document DB SQL query cheat sheet, just because the, the SQL that you use for DocDB is slightly different than T-SQL, most of it being that it's not a full subset or it's not a, it, it doesn't have the full feature set as T-SQL. Yeah. So uh, you can see what is available and then go play around with it right away too so that's where i think that this is uh really cool yeah this is really <laughs> and we lost jason <laughs> equals baby food cool doc db is that's really cool. cool the perf you get out of doc db oh it's insane yeah i mean it's such a it's such a neat service being able to you know just take your json document and say save this for me and i in particular i like the uh uh, the MongoDB interface. Yep. I find that client is a lot easier to use right off the bat. Uh, I mean, you can literally start using DocDB. Well, you, in the <laughs> command line, it, it pro- it's probably like two lines in the command line. And then uh, in your code, I mean, it's just a, it's like two or three lines of code and boom, you're, you're working with, uh, with document DB and, uh, you know, cause I don't want to run a server. What a, what a pain. Like that just <laughs> anytime, you know, now anything that's like not Azure functions to me, like seems really complicated. <laughs> you know, it's not just even standing up your doc DB. It's then going your doc DB cloud scale and making it yeah. multi-regional. So easy with yeah. doc DB. Try doing that with some of the external products. It's hard. Yeah. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Carl, what do you have for the dev tip of the week? The dev tip of the week is for our Windows developers. The UWP Community Toolkit is now up to a version 1.4. And while they do have like new uh, like uh, controls and stuff that you can work with and yep. other new like extension methods and features like that, one of the cool things is they actually have this time around some uh, developer tools that'll help you either bring like an alignment grid so you can make sure everything's aligned properly or to make sure that you have the right thing focused. So they have a few new tools in there to help you during the development phase uh, as well as the actual implementation of your application. So if you're a Windows developer making UWP applications, you definitely want to check out the UWP Community Toolkit. Very cool. Okay, Jason, there's a game that we play on the show. What I need to do is I need you to pick a number between one and four inclusive and let me know what it is. Say it aloud? Yeah. Three. And Well, unless you have another way of letting me know, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me find a card with an unused three. Okay, here we go. Uh... This probably doesn't make any sense, but uh, it's a kid's game. Uh, Would you rather have to change your little brother's diapers or clean your grandmother's false teeth? So I have a three and a half year old and a five month old baby. I got to the first year and a half on my three and a half year old without changing a diaper and four months on my baby without changing a diaper. So I'm going to go with grandma's teeth and mention my wife, Kelly, is a saint. Oh, so you're, yeah, nice. So you're, you're just, you know, you, you just know that if you do one, then it's, that just opens up the floodgates. Yeah, that starts the floodgates <laughs> and then downhill from there. But sorry, honey, I'm cleaning, I'm, yeah, I'm cleaning grandma's teeth. I can't, can't change the diaper right now. Okay, Carl, you pick a number. I'll take number two. Number two. Man, we've gone through a lot. Oh, nope, nope. We've, we've gone through a lot of these cards. Here we go. Would you rather, 
Always keep one eye closed or only breathe out of your nose. <laughs> one eye closed. <laughs> really? Why? I got to be able to breathe, man. Well, yeah. I mean, what if your nose gets stuffed up? I mean, do they give you do they give you like a pass if that happens or not? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. And and like, who's the judge? <laughs> and and what's the penalty? <laughs> I always said on Doctor Who, they could you know whenever you have the the weeping angels where you have to keep looking at them, you just alternate between those <laughs> eyes. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So Jason, where can people find you? So anyone can get uh, talk to the Azure CLI team. We are azfeedback okay. at Microsoft.com. We're Azure at Azure CLI on Twitter. And if you're looking to get started, okay. aka.ms slash Azure CLI 2. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this. This was perfect timing and uh, great work on this new command line tool. Oh, it's great to be able to talk with you. Thanks. Thanks.